the chief occupation of the rabbi was to make disciples and according to them there are three different types of student or disciple always amuses me this the sponge the funnel the strainer the sifter or sieve the sponge is a disciple who soaks up everything they have no discernment the good the bad the ugly all it goes up like a vacuum cleaner the funnel in it goes and straight through everything is marvelous at the time but nothing is retained quick to perceive and equally quick to forget that's the funnel I've met people like that soak it up and then the next week they've forgotten the lot the strainer now this one lets out the wine but it collects the dregs this is a person who forgets the essentials but retains all the trivia they can recite the most obscure Bible detail, but when it comes to the important stuff, forget it. This is the disciple who strains at a gnat and swallows a camel. The sifter, or sieve, ah, now this one. This person collects the fine flour and discards the lumpy bits. This is the student who retains the good material but rejects the worthless. He or she eats the meat and takes out the bones, leaving them on the side of the plate. This one operates in discernment. Even when part of the message is off base, they're able to take out the goodness and throw out the rubbish. And Jesus would have had all four types following him at any one time. Rabbis made disciples. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So this was at the very heart of the rabbi, to make disciples. Now we can see why Jesus didn't tell us to make followers or believers of the way, but disciples. A disciple is a student, a learner, someone who knows that there's always more to be had at the table of the Lord. And this was priority number one in Jesus' commission, to train, equip and raise up disciples, students, people eager and willing to learn and live out what they'd learnt. Jesus not only taught the masses, but he made a point of spending the majority of his time teaching the twelve. Luke 5, 27 and 28. After that he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth and he said to him follow me and he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him that is the response of a serious disciple or student who decides to follow the rabbi in other words if you wanted to know and learn about the deeper things of that rabbi's teaching you'd have to follow him You'd have to leave what you were doing and follow in order that you'd be with him day and night and learn at his feet. Here Levi leaves everything to follow Jesus. He's fully focused. Remember I've already said it was a hard life and to be a disciple of a rabbi was also a hard life. It was very demanding. It cost to become a disciple. 2 Kings 2, 1-10 and it came about, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. 
But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now fifty men of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle and folded it and struck the waters and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry land. When they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from heaven, taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So here we have the Old Testament pattern. Elisha, water carrier to Elijah, won't let him out of his sight. He's going to follow that man because he wants that mantle. Joshua in the tent of meeting with Moses. Both these men were disciples who took on the mantle of their master when he went home. It costs today to become a disciple of Jesus. You can't let him out of your sight. It means we must love Jesus more than anyone or anything else. As a disciple of a rabbi, you travelled under difficult conditions, literally living hand to mouth. It required total commitment. Remember also, please, that the overall title of this series is Living an Intentional Lifestyle. So here we have mirrored what that intentional lifestyle will look like. The servant, disciple, is not above his master. Jesus told his disciples, if they've done this to me, they'll do it to you. Peter, it's going to be a hard road. Matthew 10:24, and he tells the disciples the meaning of discipleship. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. Luke 6:40, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Luke 9, 57-62, exacting discipleship. As they were going along the road someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Also another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, 
after putting his hand to the plough and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Discipleship of a rabbi required total commitment, sacrificial living. Luke 14, 25 to 27, and we see discipleship tested. Now large crowds were going along with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, it cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Peter, it's going to be a hard road. He's not saying that you must literally hate your own kith and kin, but if you had to make the choice between them or me, you would choose me. Jesus is saying here, if you don't put me first, you can't be my disciple. It's not unreasonable. He will put demands upon you that others will not understand, particularly those closest to you. They will not understand if he says, leave everything and follow me. But you get to choose what you'll do. Discipleship is costly. We never want to be challenged with this costly, demanding life which true discipleship will mean. It's the same in every generation. Jesus never understated the true cost of following him. Love me first, he said. Then you will know how to love everyone else. Ah, this is the bonus, beloved. Then you will know how to love everyone else. What a difference Christians would make in the world if they knew the love of God, their place in the Spirit, their place in God, allowed him to love them and loved him in return. Then indeed we would turn the world upside down as they did in the book of Acts. Acts 17.6 in the Amplified. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And with persecutions. Mark 10.29 and 30. Jesus said us, Truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and the gospels but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life persecutions are the norm there's a story in the Jewish writings that if your rabbi and your father are taken hostage, you should first ransom your rabbi, then your father. Why the rabbi first? Because your father brought you into the world, but your rabbi prepares you for the one to come. There was a tremendous respect and love for the rabbis in Jesus' day, accompanied by commitment and dedication. The cost was great, so great in fact that many turned away. John six fifty nine and 60 and 66. These things Jesus said in the synagogue as he taught in, in, in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they'd heard this, said, this is a difficult statement, who can listen to it? As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus here is saying something the disciples can't swallow and it results in many turning away from following him. 
Jesus always told people it would cost them to follow him. But the closest to him counted the cost. And Peter gives this tremendous answer when Jesus asks, Will you go too? In John 6, 67 and 68. So Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Making disciples then was at the heart of Jesus' ministry when he was on earth. And it was also the commission he left behind for us to follow. In this classic Great Commission, three statements are made, two of which relate to teaching. Matthew 26, 18 and 20. 18 to 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In the West we've made much of this and emphasised evangelism, but there's no true evangelism apart from education. And the emphasis in Matthew 26 is on, as you go, make disciples or students of the people. Baptise them and teach them. Jesus' heart is always in the making of students, learners, disciples, who will in turn teach others, thus leaving a legacy for the coming generation. You cannot understand Jesus, nor can you follow him, if you don't appreciate the importance of being and remaining teachable about the things pertaining to him. John eight thirty one and 32 So Jesus was saying to those who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you abide, continue, dwell in, hold to my teaching, then you are my disciples and the truth I share with you will indeed set you free. Lastly now, contrary to popular belief, Jesus did not come preaching church. He came preaching the kingdom of God, the good news. In some quarters we're taught that the, this kingdom is God's ruling and reigning on the earth, on earth as it is in heaven and it sounds as though it may be correct it makes for good preaching but it's a wrong understanding of what was being said the kingdom of God comes when we accept his lordship over our lives over all things seen and unseen and that he and he alone has the right to deal with us as he will his kingdom is first of all internal then behavioural. What happens on the inside shows on the outside. This causes us big problems because we're greeted by culture and thought and a Greek does not say in answer to God what must I do in a submissive manner as would a Hebrew but why must I do it? This is a fundamental cultural difference between the Greek and Hebrew way of thought. To the Hebrew, obedience to the word of God is the absolute. The Bible is God's word, and revelation of God's word is the highest authority. That, for them, settles it. For us, there is a discussion involved. 
Why should I? How do I know it's true? And often we want lengthy explanations before we will comply, and that reluctantly. When God revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave instructions on how to live in this world, not in the world to come. When Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount, it was instructions for living in this world, not the one to come. In this world we are training for reigning in the next. God is intensely practical. His goal for us is to live in right relationship with him in the here and now and right relationship with one another. In other words, we must be obedient to his instructions for life in order that his kingdom may come on the earth as it is in heaven. Without our obedience to his instructions, his kingdom just won't come. So this term, the kingdom of heaven, must be understood in the present reality. To speak of the kingdom of God is to speak of Jesus as the king who reigns and rules in our lives and we are meant to be a walking example of his goodness, kindness, love, mercy, grace, long-suffering, compassion. Because we live under his rulership and we have his heart. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's talking about those who submit to his ruling and reigning as king in their lives. Matthew 5 verse 3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the ones Jesus is ruling over. Those who are teachable towards God, humble in heart, poor in spirit. They know their need. Jesus rules over those who are submitted to him, those who permit his rule over them without argument. And we don't possess the kingdom, it possesses us. Jesus redeems us so he can rule over us and our response should be joyful submission to that rulership. He saved us and he deserves to be our Lord. Many know Jesus as Saviour, not many know him as Lord or ruler of their lives. There are several criterion that show us what's required to operate in the power and authority of the kingdom of God. First and foremost, if you're in the kingdom of God, you live a king-centered life, a God-centered life. The king's priorities become your priorities. What matters to him matters to you. Luke 4:42 and 43 When day came Jesus left and went to a secluded place and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them but he said to them I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also for I was sent for this purpose God gives us his purpose this is why Jesus was sent Matthew 6:33 but seek first and only his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The first priority in the kingdom of God is to seek to do first his will, to make Jesus king in our life and that's the heart of the Christian faith. The second thing is that you will lead a life characterised by humility. Matthew 5, 1-10 in the message love this you're blessed it's headed up 
When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get in your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Whole issue here is one of sovereignty. Just who's on the throne of your life. And then we come to the issue of obedience. To live a life that is characterised by what Paul calls the obedience of faith. Obedience is the hallmark of a disciple. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No procrastination. Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Jesus is saying here, just because you call me Lord doesn't mean you're doing as I ask you. It takes more than lip service, as we would say. Jesus tells the, of the parable of the two sons, one who said he would go to work in his father's vineyard and didn't, and the other who said he wouldn't and did. Find it in Matthew twenty one, twenty eight to thirty one. But what do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go today, work in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards he re regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir, but he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. And here Jesus is dealing with the chief priests and the elders in the temple. But it applies to us too. Obedience is an affair of the heart. We obey from our devotion to him and our thankfulness towards him for what we have been rescued from. And notice he speaks of the kingdom of God, his reign and rule in our hearts. So to demonstrate the kingdom means you are willing to live a life characterised by obedience to his commands. And he tells you that his commands are not burdensome. 1 John 5.3 To be in the kingdom and operate in its power means that you are connected to the community of faith. You must be a part of what Jesus is doing on the earth, part of his movement. Sitting in a pew won't cut it. The kingdom's about warfare. We're an army. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates, the plans and the purposes of the enemy will not prevail against it. So to be part of this kingdom means, his, means warfare is part of the deal. 
When the kingdom breaks out, people are set free and you will be involved in the conflict. When the kingdom breaks out, there's power and the prince of darkness is offended. Following Jesus will stir warfare. As he is in this world, so are we. The mission of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Equip means to prepare something for service. So the church's mission should be to equip us all for kingdom service. To be in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God means you're going to be actively engaged in spiritual warfare, loving your enemies, blessing those who curse you, and praying for those who despitefully use you. Matthew 11 verse 12 From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. What is Jesus talking about? The key to understanding this is found in an Old Testament scripture in Micah 2, 12 and 13. I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I'll put them together like sheep in the fold, like a flock in the midst of its pasture. They will be noisy with men. The breaker goes up before them. They break out, pass through the gate and go up by it. So their king goes on before them and the Lord at their head. This is the picture of the shepherd penning up his sheep for the night. He builds a fold by putting a makeshift rock fence against a hillside. He climbs inside and sleeps across what will be the doorway to stop them escaping. I'm the door of the sheepfold. John 10, 1-7 Truly, truly, I say to you, he who doesn't enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own out by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them but they didn't understand those things which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. The next morning, to let the sheep out, the shepherd makes a hole or a breach in the fence by tossing some of the stones aside. He steps through this gate with the sheep pressing behind. These sheep have been penned up all night and can hardly wait to get out. They push and shove, striving all of them to get through together, literally violently breaking through and following the shepherd out into the green pasture. The breachmaker and the king are the same person. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus is saying, is breaking forth and suffering violence because I have come and I am removing all the obstacles all the religious nonsense and I am leading out my sheep into safe pastures. The kingdom is breaking forth into the world like water breaking through a dam and individuals within the kingdom are finding liberty and freedom. It's a powerful analogy. The kingdom is free but it will cost you all you have. When you see all these things and do all these things, the kingdom of God is here and you're seeing the fruit of it. It's abundant life. It's not a kingdom of words but of power. 
life-changing power by the Spirit of God. The Kingdom is the supernatural intervention of God in your life and mine. And where's this Kingdom? It's inside you and me. The Kingdom is within us. Luke 17:21 NIV Nor will people say here it is or there it is because the Kingdom of God is within you. Who's this King? Jesus. What is the Kingdom? It's the reign and rule of Jesus over our lives. It's present but it's also future. God has a purpose in our salvation that we might shine as lights in our homes, our workplace, our school, everywhere in society. That we might bring his kingdom into the places we tread. Matthew 10, 7 and 8 And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely we've received, we must freely give. The kingdom is within us. Jesus lives in us. He is king. He operates within and through us. And today he challenges us to operate in the power and authority he bestowed upon us. The power and authority of the king and his kingdom to set the captives free, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers and see the demons flee. There's just one requirement, beloved, that you make him Lord as well as Saviour and submit to his rulership. God bless you. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Amen.